Thank you for listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Cole Bobbeth covers Luke 7, 36 through 50. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Well, as you are all probably aware of now, um, Adam is not here. Pastor Adam's not here. He's up at Camp Clear Lake for snow camp, and he's kind of running the show up there. So if you think of him and of the kids, please be praying for them. Please be praying that the kids would have a seed planted in their hearts this weekend and that it would grow into faith with time. Um, So Adam gave me more or less free reign as to be able to preach on whatever I chose. So I decided this on this passage as it's one of my favorites. Um, And I'm going to go through three points today. The first point is that Jesus is questioned. The second is Jesus' parable. The third is Jesus forgives. And then after those points, I'm going to talk about um, some of the application that can be had from this text. So with that, um, it was several years ago, um, feels like many years ago now, that I was an intern for optometry school and I got the blessing of being able to go to Honolulu with Laura for three months um, and to spend some time at an Air Force base there and work. And while I was there, a friend of mine, one of my best friends, it's actually Pastor Nathan's son, his name is Joel uh, from the Sunnyside Church, uh, he was going to be there too for an internship. And uh, so we got to spend some time together. He had been raised there, so he knew the area pretty well, and he wanted us to start a hobby together. And the hobby that he wanted us to start was spearfishing. Spearfishing is apparently legal in the state of Hawaii, depending where you go. And um, he, he wanted us to do this together. So he went ahead and bought the spears. He went ahead and bought the gear, goggles, flippers, and um, we went out. I was really excited. I thought it would be a lot of fun. So we went out. We would go to just some beaches, swim out not far, and try to find fish, and then attempt to spear them with these spears. And as it turns out, it's a lot harder than it sounds. A lot harder than it sounds. These, it's hard to find the fish, although it's not extremely difficult to find them, but they're usually pretty small, not really worth catching most of the time. And they're very dodgy. They just very quickly, as soon as you let go, they just kind of squirm around it, and, and it's not a big deal to them. And so we had gone to several different places, and it was getting kind of frustrating to us because we kept going, and we kept coming back home without any fish. So I told Joel I had an idea. Um, the, a few weeks back, I had been to this cove up on the North Shore. It's called Shark's Cove, and it had tons of fish there. And I thought, Joel, if we go to this cove, it doesn't matter where we shoot our spears. We're going to hit something. There are just so many fish here. And so he says, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and do it. Let's try it. So we come up with a date. We drive up there. We get out of the car. We, we go up early so that there aren't a lot of um, snorkelers around because it's a pretty popular place. And we get our gear on, we get in the water, and as soon as our goggles hit the water, it's like fish heaven. There are just fish everywhere. It's, it's great. They're big ones, little ones, all sorts of different types. Um, 
yeah, so we're pretty excited at this point. We think, okay, we're going to catch something today. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to catch something. So we start, and sure enough, it's just as hard this time as it was the times before. We keep shooting, and we keep missing, keep shooting, keep missing. And after some time, we, in the cove, the cove is pretty big, so we drift apart a little bit in the water. But eventually, I'm able to get one. I spear it through the center, and I am so so excited, so excited that I finally caught a fish. And the most important part was I caught one before Joel did. Um, and so I, I'm pretty excited. I'm thinking, all right, we are finally going to have some fish. I'm going to take it home. I'm going to fire up the barbecue. I'm going to throw it on there. And I don't know, we'll have fish tacos or something. Ooh, I wonder what type of seasoning goes well with this fish. Uh, I'm not too sure. It's a strange fish. It looks like it's from Finding Nemo or something like that. Um, and so I'm swimming back towards Joel, ready to show off this fish that I caught. And I decide, I want to take a better look at this fish, uh, because in the water it looks like it's this big. It's kind of round in shape, and I think, oh, that's a pretty good size. It will be some good eating. But I get out of the water, I take my goggles off, and I'm instantly disappointed. The optics are a little bit funny in the water as opposed to what it is above the water. The fish is actually about that big. And it's about that thick. It's got more slime and bones than it does meat. And I could probably, I'd be better off just using it as a rock to skip across the sea than I would to eat it. It's, it's uh, not worth keeping. And so I'm pretty bummed. And Joel starts laughing at me. Um, and at that point, someone on the shore is yelling at us. And so we look at him and he's saying, what are you guys doing? And we just kind of look at each other, not sure what to say. And he says, this is a fish sanctuary. You can't spear fish here. And so we hightail it out of there as quickly as possible. We get in his car, and as, as we get in the car, we look, and sure enough, there are signs everywhere. I don't know how we missed them on the way in, but there are signs saying fish sanctuary, no fishing allowed, no spear fishing allowed. If you do, it's a misdemeanor, and you can be fined a certain amount of money, and you can be thrown in prison. Thankfully, none of those things happened to us. We got out of there in time, and uh, we did not get fined or thrown in prison, and please don't tell people this story. Um, but if we rewind a little bit and we go back to where um, I, when I was in the water— and I caught the fish, and I was so excited. I was on cloud nine. I was so happy. I finally caught a fish. We're going to have some fun. This is going to be great. But in reality, I was unaware of the truth of the situation I had put myself in. I'm going to read that again. I was unaware of the truth of the situation I had put myself in. Well, I tell this story because I think it's similar to the warning that we see here in Luke 7. It gives a warning to those who are viewing life inaccurately. It specifically talks to those who have a flawed view of their own sin. It's easy to picture our sin incorrectly and to have a false understanding which detrimentally shapes the way we view the gospel of Jesus. When we minimize our sin, we are left with ungrateful hearts for a seemingly unnecessary salvation. So let's go to our first point 
First point is Jesus is questioned. I'm going to be reading through the passage kind of verse by verse. And I'd like it if you wouldn't mind uh, just following along with me. So verse 36 of Luke 7 reads, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So the story starts out with this Pharisee. If you go to verse 40, we find out that this Pharisee's name is Simon. And we don't know much about Simon. Simon isn't brought up anywhere else in Scripture. So, so yeah, there isn't much to say about him. But we do know a decent amount about Pharisees. <clears throat> so let's brush up on Pharisees a little bit. Pharisees, as some of you might know, were highly religious and influential Jews at the time that were known for how well they followed the Old Testament law. And then on top of that, they would make laws of their own to usually benefit themselves. And they took a lot of pride in how well they could follow that law. But whenever they saw anyone that didn't follow the law, they were very quick, very quick to judge. And as a whole, Pharisees didn't care for Jesus very much. It kind of disrupted their beliefs their understanding of the law. You see, the Pharisees would teach law, law, follow the law and you will attain righteousness. On the other hand, Jesus was preaching your heart, your heart, give me your heart. Jesus was interested in a repenting heart that acknowledged its need for a savior. So that's what we know about Pharisees for the most part. And this Pharisee, Simon, seems like he has... Um, heard about Jesus some. He's probably heard about some of the miracles, some of his teachings, and he wants to know a little bit more about him. So he invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And Jesus accepts. And he comes over and he takes his place at the table. Let's read the next couple of verses, 37 and 38. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So this word here at the beginning, behold, lets us know that this woman kind of came out of nowhere. She wasn't expected to be there. She definitely wasn't invited to the Pharisee's house. And um, so the, that begs the question, why, why is she there? How did she get in? Well, back then, it seems to be that Pharisees were pretty well off. They probably had pretty big homes. And for whatever reason, it was a custom back then to not really lock and shut, shut and lock your doors back then. And so people were free to kind of waltz in as they wanted to. And so that's what this woman does, looking for Jesus. She knows, apparently, that he's going to be there, and, and she finds him. So who's this woman? It says she's a woman of the city who was a sinner. Later on, it'll say that she was a great sinner. What kind of sins did she commit? We don't know. There are lots, lots of speculations there. We could assume prostitution. We could assume many, many other things. But the main thing to realize here is when everyone saw her, they, they recognized her and they knew her for her sin. 
and they saw her and they were disgusted um, and didn't, didn't care for her presence there. Some people think that she might have been Mary Magdalene. The reason for that is if you, you can turn here later, we're not really going to talk about it much, but in John chapter 12, Mary Magdalene does something very similar to Jesus as the sinful woman. She wipes his hair, wipes his feet with her hair, and then she anoints his feet with ointment. But the setting in John chapter 12 is very different than the setting here. And so it's my understanding that this woman is someone totally different. Um, So I, I don't think it's Mary Magdalene. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on. We're going to go to verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, or he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon, being the Pharisee that he is, is quick to judge Jesus. He sees that he's fine with this woman touching him and thinks, that's not right. If he were a prophet, like these teachings and miracles suggest, then, then he wouldn't want to be affiliated with this woman at all. He must not know. Maybe he doesn't know about the sin of this woman. He's not from the area, possibly. Well, Simon, like we said, probably knew some of the miracles of Jesus. But I'm wondering if he never talked to the woman at the well. If you recall the story of the woman at the well, she walked away from the conversation with Jesus saying, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That woman um, had been married multiple times, and then at the time that Jesus talked to her, she was living with a man that she was not married with. And so Jesus had told her her sin, and she did not tell him. Jesus just knew. And so if we know that Jesus knew that, we can deduce that Jesus also knew the sins of the sinful woman. He probably knew it better than anyone else in the room. He did know it better than anyone else in the room. But that was not Jesus' concern, was her sin. So what, what's Jesus concerned with? Well, let's keep reading and, and maybe we'll find out. Verse 40 reads, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. This part kind of makes me laugh a little bit because if you go back to verse 39, it says that Simon thinks he's talking to himself when he's judging Jesus. But of course, Jesus knows his heart. And so he calls, calls Simon out and says, I have something to say to you. And he's about to launch into this parable. And he wants to get at Simon's heart because he sees that Simon's heart is tainted with sin. And he doesn't realize it. But before we move on to our second point of the parables, let's go ahead and explain what a parable is. Parables are short, fictitious stories that are made up to shed light on a spiritual issue that is not well understood. I'm going to read that again. Parables are short, fictitious stories that are made up to shed light on a spiritual issue that is not well understood. You see, parables have two meanings. The first meaning is more literal. It's easier to grasp. And then it has a second meaning. The second meaning is more spiritual. It's a little harder to grasp. 
You have to think about it a little bit more. And the whole point of the parable is to help us understand the spiritual side of things. We know this side pretty well. All of us might know it pretty well. Um, And so we need to make the connection over to the spiritual side so that we can understand it better. Well, let's go ahead and read Jesus' parable. It's a really short parable, and then we'll talk about it in that context. Verse 41 through 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt? And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. So the first meaning of this parable, we have, we have three characters. You have the money lender, you have the two debtors, right? The one that was forgiven the 500 denarii, the other one that had the 50. But both of them can't pay their debt, right? Um, and so the money lender, out of grace and kindness, forgives them their debt. And so Jesus here, like I said, is trying to get at Simon, trying to get at his heart. So he is wanting to make sure Simon is tracking. Okay, so he asks Simon the question, now which of them will love him more, is what he asks. And Simon thinks, I think I know the answer to this. I'll play your game, Jesus. And he says, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. That one. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. So we can be pretty sure that Simon understands this first meaning of the parable. The first meaning just being what it is, very, very literal. So you have this money lender, you have two debtors. We can kind of understand this. If you've ever been in debt, you can kind of understand being in debt. And if you've ever been forgiven a debt, it's very, very nice. And so we kind of get that. Now we need to make sure, and Jesus wants to make sure, that Simon makes a connection to the second meaning, the more spiritual meaning, and hopefully we will as well. So let's go ahead and move on, and we're going to read verses 44 through 46. Then turning toward the women, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, Jesus is trying to make that connection for Simon. He's trying to make the connection over to that second meaning of the parable. And so he's directing Simon's attention back to the sinful woman. The sinful woman, when she first walked in, she had everyone's attention, right? But the attention that was on her was all negative. They knew her. They knew her as a great sinner. And so they looked at her with disgust. But now Jesus is drawing the attention back to her, wanting the people to see her in a, in a completely different light. And he does this by comparing her to Simon and his lack of hospitality. And he does it in three ways. The first way is he talks about how Simon did not wash his feet before the meal. But instead, the sinful woman has washed his feet with her tears and hair. Secondly, he brings up that Simon didn't give him a kiss. Back then, it was custom to kiss either the cheek or the hands as a greeting, but Simon apparently did not do so. And on the other hand, we have the sinful woman 
who has not ceased to kiss his feet. And thirdly, Jesus mentions that Simon did not anoint his head with oil, which apparently was custom back then. Um, but on contrary, um, the woman, she anointed his feet with ointment. It was not very kind back then to mention to someone, look, your hospitality is kind of lacking towards me these days. But Jesus is doing so, so that he will wake him up, that he'll see, look, you need to grasp what's going on here. This woman gets it. She gets what's going on. You do not. Simon's lack of hospitality here shows his lack of love for Jesus. So now let's go to our third point. Jesus forgives. Therefore, I tell you, this is verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little, loves little. There's a lot to unpack here. Jesus is revealing a lot here. So let's go back to the parable. Jesus is trying to make this connection again. In the parable, we had the three characters. You had the money lender and the two debtors, right? Well, Jesus is now making the connection that this, this debtor that who has been forgiven much is this sinful woman here. And that's why when he says um, she has many, for, many sins and they're all forgiven and she loves much in turn. So it's clear that that's who he's talking about there. That's the correlation. And then Jesus says, but he who's forgiven little loves little. And that's where Simon's supposed to realize, oh, he's talking about me. I'm the debtor who has been forgiven little. And therefore, I'm loving little. I think another important part to um, connect here is what the debt is. So in the parable, you have the debt, and the debt is a, a loan, obviously. It's money that they need to owe. Um, but in, spiritually, it's, it's not money, obviously. It's something else. It's, it's what Jesus says here in verse 47. It's the sins. The woman's sins are what are needing to be forgiven, not a debt. But it is the debt of sin. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time, this is kind of a side note, on talking about sin. So let's define it. Our kids, um, at least at one point, I don't know if they still know this, but Laura was really good about going through catechism questions and answers with them. And she would ask the question, what is sin? And their answer was, missing the mark of God's holiness. I think that's a good definition. I think it makes it so that we can't excuse any of our sins. And it helps us realize that, oh man, if I really think about it, if I'm trying to be as good as God's holiness, I, uh, I'm failing all the time. All the time. In Romans and in many other parts in the Bible, it tells us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we know now that, hopefully we all know now, that, that our sin is constant. We, we all do it and we all do it constantly. So what is the debt of our sin? What does it cost us? Well, every time sin comes up, there is a cost to it. And scripture is to point out there's, there's a debt with it, a debt to God. 
All the way back in Genesis, we can see that it comes with a curse. Sin does. And then throughout Scripture, we see that it comes with death, comes with separation from God, comes with God's wrath. You can mention many other negative things here, none positive. But the debt of sin can only be paid in these ways. It can't just be shrugged off or brushed off. And this is the whole reason why Christ came, right? With his death on the cross, Jesus took on the curse. He was separated from God. He took on God's wrath, and he died. But the difference with his death compared to all the other deaths is that he lived a perfect life. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. So in his death, our debt of sin can be paid, paid in full. And it's only through faith. Well, let's get back to our text now. But before I do so, I want to try to uh, give an overview again um, on the parables. So Simon is now hopefully aware um, of this correlation here between the first meaning and the second meaning of the parable, where he is the debtor who has been forgiven little, and the woman is the debtor who has been forgiven much. Okay, so now let's read the last couple of verses. Verse 48 through 50. And he, that's Jesus, said to her, the sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus here in the setting of this dinner party is displaying his power for everyone to see. Let's go back to the parable again. I think this is the last time. We talked about the two debtors, but we didn't really talk about the money lender. The money lender in the parable, who represents the money lender? Well, it's clearly represented by Jesus. The money lender is the one who is able to forgive the debt that the debtors have, and Jesus is the only one able to forgive the debt of sin that we have, that we all have. And so the people see that, see that what he's saying is that he has the power to forgive and, and they kind of correctly think, well, who is this guy that says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins is probably what they're thinking. But little do they know that they're in the presence of God incarnate. He does have the power to forgive their sins. And at the end, Jesus lets them know that this forgiveness comes with a caveat. The caveat is that it has to come with faith and faith in him alone. And then he tells the woman, go in peace. I imagine that she was in much more peace leaving than she was going, knowing that the Pharisees and whoever else were there probably weren't too excited about her being there. So at the end here, we're kind of left in the dark a little bit, not knowing if Simon grasped the parable fully and if he'll put his faith in Christ or he'll keep his faith in his own works and his self-righteousness. And hopefully we'll make the connection ourselves. So how do we apply this? Well, when I first read this passage, um, kind of on my own, I read it when I was in my early 20s. And I'm not particularly proud of how I interpreted it 
then. But I think it's a, um, good to mention in hopes that um, it might help, um, help some of you. You see, when, when I read it, I, I had felt like I had a stronger connection, if you will, with Simon. At the time, I had some Christian friends, good Christian friends that were n- not doing such great things, and they were getting into trouble and getting arrested even. And so when I compared myself to them, I thought, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I have a little sin. And I thought, this is a good thing, right? As I read through the passage, like, that should be a good thing. Little sin is good. We should attain to sin less. Or is it, is it good that I keep on trying to sin so that grace may abound? No, obviously in Romans, Paul talks about that. Surely not. But the problem I had was, well, if that's the case, if I'm like Simon, then I can only love God a little. And there's something wrong with that. Um, And so I knew I wasn't interpreting it correctly, but I didn't know where to get the answer. And so years, literally years went by with this understanding that I have had, and um, I tried to come back to it from time time to time in, um, in hopes that the Holy Spirit would kind of teach me what is really being said here in this passage. And I would also go to some of my peers and ask them, you know, am I understanding this correctly or not? And they might have been really good in, in teaching me about this, but maybe I had deaf ears. I don't, I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't grasp it until um, I was in premarital counseling. Thank goodness I learned before we got married instead of after uh, that we, Laura and I were reading this book together. We had to read this book together. Um, but it was a good book. It was a book by Jerry Bridges. I don't remember the name of it, but it did a great job of explaining that the amount of love one has for God has a lot, if not everything, to do with how you see your sin and how you see your sin in comparison to God's holiness. It was finally at that point that I realized that the sinful woman had greater, had greater love than Simon, not necessarily because she had sinned more, but because she knows that her sins have brought a depravity to her that can only be reconciled by an all-powerful Messiah. As I began to acknowledge that, I began to understand that all our good works are like filthy rags. No matter how good I was feeling about how I was doing, how self-righteous I was, I needed to know that my life has been completely and utterly tainted with sin. Some outsiders might have looked into my life and said, you know what, you got, you got things pretty well figured out. You're doing pretty well. But in fact, I was in dire need of forgiveness just as much as the next person and just as much as the sinful woman we see in this text. I began to see that I'm not a little sinner in, a need, in need of a little forgiveness. On the contrary, I should have realized that I'm a sinner like the sinful woman, and therefore I've been forgiven much, which should in turn produce much love towards God. As I began to realize this, I started to recognize that my faith was in my good works. It was in my own self-righteousness. And I tell you what, it's spiritually extremely dangerous to be in a place where you think you're doing just fine on your own. 
When I started to see the true depravity that sin had put me in, it proved to help me to be confident in Christ's work instead of my own work. And then the Holy Spirit used that to drive me to grow in faith in him. And as this passage teaches, it's only through faith in Jesus that we are saved. He is all-powerful and fully capable of forgiving our debt. So that, that was my um, struggle with this passage. But maybe your struggle is very different than mine, and that's definitely okay if it is. It's probably better that if it is. Maybe when you read this passage, you feel a stronger connection with the sinful woman. Maybe you often struggle with feelings like your sin is too great. And you'll never really fit in here at church because your sin is just too great. Or that God doesn't want someone as broken as yourself. Your sin might at, time, at times seem insurmountable. But that couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know if you noticed, but in this text, Luke doesn't give any specifics about the women's sin. We kind of touched on that. But I think the reason is because the ambiguity of it makes it so that anyone reading it can read this passage and instantly know that Jesus has the power to save you from fill in the blank. Any sin, any, any reader can read this and know that I can be forgiven my debt too. No matter how big or dark the sin is that you feel you have, Christ can and will forgive your debt if you put your faith in him. Well, in conclusion, how do you relate to the two debtors in this passage? Do you relate more with Simon or the sinful woman? Do you think you need to be forgiven much or just a little bit? Are you aware of the truth of the situation you are in with your sin? The point of the passage is it doesn't matter what sinful baggage you have. We all have baggage. We all need to be forgiven much. That's the title I asked. It says, are you forgiven much or a little? The answer should be much. Something that might help you to come to this understanding is to consider the perspective you have of yourself compared to God. Try to understand how completely different and better God is from us. How great is God's holiness? And in contrast, how horrible is our sin? And yet God still loves us with the self-sacrificial and unconditional love. As we continue to grow in our understanding of this, we can have a deeper faith and a better appreciation for what Christ did on the cross. What's your faith in? Is your faith in your works? Or is it in Christ who has the power to save us from our debt? I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would understand that our sin is great. Our sin was so great that you had to send your son to come live the perfect life, take on our sin, defeat the curse and death, take on your wrath, be separated from God, 
in order that we might get your righteousness if we put our faith in you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work through us in this time, that you would help us to grow in our faith, and you would help us to see our need for you. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.